Good morning, everyone. <coughs> For those who don't know me, I'm Howard Barnett, regular member of the eight o'clock congregation, but increasing times attending this congregation for different reasons. So it's great to be with you and with everyone at home. Let's just bow for prayer. Gracious God and Father, we thank you for your word. We thank you for the guidance you give us through it, for revealing yourself to us. As we think about this passage this morning, we pray that you would, through the power of the Holy Spirit, open up our hearts and minds to hear and receive your word, that we might be strengthened in our service for you. And we pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. In 2019, my wife Jackie and I were on a short trip to Canberra. On the way, as we travelled on the Federal Highway, driving past some open pasture land, we saw a shepherd leading some sheep. There he was, out in front of his flock, with the help of a couple of border collies, racing around the flock, keeping them close together. And I remember thinking how biblical the scene was. It was strange, strange particularly when I compared that scene with other encounters we'd had with sheep on, uh, on our many travels. On one other occasion, we were heading back from, to Sydney from Broken Hill. And out there, there are no fences along the side of the road to keep the wildlife from strolling across, including sheep. As we were travelling, we saw in the distance some sheep grazing, wandering around the scrub, chewing on what, uh, what grass they could find. And as they approached the road, we noticed that they were paying not the slightest bit of attention to the approaching car and the danger that we presented to them, and I guess they to us. They just kept walking, heads down, straight across the road. Well, I have to say my thoughts were less than biblical on that occasion. But now, but how wrong was I? As I was thinking about these two encounters, I saw two very biblical examples of what Jesus was teaching in John chapter 10. A flock of sheep being led by the shepherd and other sheep needing a shepherd. This morning as we continue our series, The Church is Like, we come to John 10, where the church is like the flock. The flock in its relationship to God. The flock in its relationship to false shepherds. And the flock in its relationship to the good shepherd. And once again, we'll start in the Old Testament. In the beginning. First, uh, chapter 1 of Genesis and verse 26 after the creation or the end of the creation narrative, then God said, let us make mankind in our image, in our likeness, so that they may rule over the fish of the sea and the birds of the sky, over the livestock and all the wild animals and over all the creatures that move along the ground. So God created mankind in his own image. 
In the image of God, he created them. Male and female, he created them. And so the relationship begins between God and his people. Later in Genesis, in chapter 12, the great covenant promise that is given to, to Abram uh, is then renewed in chapter 17, confirming the everlasting nature of this relationship. Genesis 17, verse 1, sorry, verse 7. I will establish my covenant as an everlasting covenant between me and you and your descendants after you for the generations to come to be your God and the God of your descendants after you. This relationship between humankind and God is an everlasting relationship. And as we move through the Old Testament, we come to the Exodus, the birth of Israel as a nation. And as this mass of people leave Egypt, Egypt, so their relationship with God begins. Exodus chapter 13 and verse 20. After leaving Succoth, they camped at Etham on the edge of the desert. By day, the Lord went ahead of them in a pillar of cloud to guide them on their way and by night in a pillar of fire to give them light so that they could travel by day or night. Neither the pillar of cloud by day nor the pillar of fire by night left its place in front of them. God guiding and leading his people. He is, of course, referred to a shepherd, as the shepherd of Israel in Psalm 80 and verse 1. Hear us, shepherd of Israel, you who led Joseph like a flock. And in verse 3 of that same psalm, the purpose of God and his relationship with us is given. Restore us, O God. Make your face shine on us that we may be saved. Of course, there's the well-known Psalm 23. The Lord is my shepherd. I lack nothing. A God who gives his sheep everything they need. He makes me lie down in green pastures. He leads me beside quiet waters. He refreshes my soul. He guides me along the right paths for his namesake. Isaiah 40, where God tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them off close to his heart. And there are many other passages in the Old Testament that establish this relationship between God and and his people. Ezekiel 34. For this is what the sovereign Lord says. I myself will search for my sheep and look after them. And in verse 23 of chapter 34 of Ezekiel. I will place over them one shepherd, my servant David. He will tend them. He will tend them and be their shepherd. I, the Lord, will be their God, and my servant David will be prince among them. I, the Lord, have spoken. And so it will be that the good shepherd will come from the line of David, but not before the flock of Israel struggles in this relationship. Time and time again, this nation chosen by God will seek the ways of the world. 
They will follow the ways of other religions. False shepherds will come among them with devastating results. This flock of God will become a divided nation, eventually be taken, to be taken off into exile. They follow false shepherds. And these false shepherds and the relationship they have with the flock, these false shepherds come in different shapes and different sizes. Many of you who know me well would know of my passion for football and in particular as a supporter of Manchester United. And in a sermon I preached here a few years ago, I spoke of how thousands of people gather at Old Trafford, the home ground of United, to pay tribute to their sporting gods. At one end of the ground, proudly displayed, are the initials MUFC, Manchester United Football Club, and then the words, the religion. And just below that sign, another sign, that signifies the importance of being at the ground and being a United supporter. And that sign says, this is my heaven. Outside the stadium, there is a statue, arguably of the three greatest Manchester United players. And the inscription says, the United Trinity. And I have to say, there by the grace of God go I. Had not my family come to Australia when I was 12, I might well have been one of those 75,000 people at that stadium every week. False worship, false shepherds can, do, can and do take different forms. Zechariah chapter 10 verse 2, the idols speak deceitfully. Diviners see visions and lie. They tell dreams and, and that are false. They give comfort in vain. Therefore, people wander like sheep oppressed for lack of a shepherd. We've already seen in part of Ezekiel chapter 34 that God is the shepherd of Israel, the one who will save his flock. But in the first 10 verses of this chapter, the message is very different. Verse 1 of Ezekiel 34. The word of the Lord came to me. Son of man, prophesy against the shepherds of Israel. Prophesy and say to them, this is what the sovereign Lord says. Woe to you, shepherds of Israel, who only take care of yourselves. Should not shepherds take care of the flock? In the past, God has given the religious leaders the task of shepherding the flock of Israel. The reading from Ezekiel 34 speaks of their failure and God's judgment upon them. False shepherds are also denounced in Isaiah 56, Jeremiah 23 and 25 and Zechariah chapter 11 and other places. But time rolls on to the day that Jesus heals a blind man on the Sabbath, as recorded in John chapter 9. And the response of Jesus we had read for us in John chapter 10. Now when John was writing his gospel, he includes only eight miracles 
Of all the miracles that Jesus did, only eight are recorded in this gospel. There were 39 other miracles recorded throughout the other three gospels. But in John chapter 20, verse 30, he writes, Jesus performed many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not recorded in this book. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Messiah, the Son of God, and that by believing you may have life in his name. Wherever there is a miracle account in John's Gospel, look before or after for some significant point of teaching. In chapter 8 of John's Gospel, Jesus declares himself to be the light of the world, the light that overcomes the darkness. To illustrate the point, John includes here in chapter 9 the healing of the man born blind, a man whose sight who moves from darkness to light because Jesus has given him sight. In chapter 9 and chapter 10, the story goes on. The man was born blind and healed by Jesus on the Sabbath day. The man, having gone to the synagogue, is confronted by the religious leaders who seek to find out who was the healer. Not that they cared for the man himself, but to find out who would do such a thing on the Sabbath day. Who would break the law? by doing this act of kindness. The healed man says truthfully that he hasn't seen Jesus. Then the Pharisees, these supposed shepherds of God's people, throw the man out of the synagogue. They excommunicate him. At the end of chapter 9, Jesus speaking to the Pharisee, oh, sorry, Jesus uh, hearing of this uh, man's uh, episode that they'd thrown him out and when he found him he said to him do you believe in the son of man who is he sir he asked tell me so that I may believe Jesus said you have now seen him in fact he is the one speaking with you <coughs> then the man said Lord I believe and he worshipped him at this point at the end of chapter 9 and at the beginning of chapter 10, Jesus is now speaking to the Pharisees. This man born blind has now accepted Jesus as the Son of God. But the Pharisees are a different story. Those men who by, the virtue, by virtue of their position and calling are charged to tend the flock of God. Jesus says, very truly I tell you, Pharisees, anyone who does not enter by the sheep pen by the gate, sorry, anyone who does not enter the sheep pen by the gate, but climbs in by some other way, is a thief and a robber. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. See, the sheep pen is a safe harbour. It's a place for a shepherd to put his flock uh, in, a, in an enclosed pen uh, for the night. It's a communal pen where many shepherds would bring their flocks 
and enclosed them. The shepherd leaves his flock each night under the watchful gaze of a night watchman. He would return the next day to take care of the sheep and he would take them to green pastures for food and water. The shepherd would call his sheep by name and the sheep would hear his voice and they would follow. They would not recognise the name of a false shepherd who seeks to enter the sheep pen by some other way. Described as a thief or a robber, he is a stranger to the sheep. The hireling, somebody who is simply doing it as a job. No care, no responsibility. Indeed, at the first sign of trouble, the false shepherd or the hired hand is most likely to run off to protect themselves and not the sheep. That is what the Pharisees did with the blind man in chapter 9. Instead of seeking the truth about his healing, it was easier for them to stick to their ritualism, their traditions, and to throw him out of the synagogue. There was no desire to care for the flock of God. In verse 6 of chapter 10, the Pharisees still did not understand. So Jesus explains further, Truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. It is an emphatic statement by Jesus. I am the gate for the sheep. There is no other way in or way out but by me, says Jesus. They will come in and go out and they will find pasture. Jesus reminds the Pharisees, the thief will come only to steal and kill. I have come that they may have life and have it to the full. In spiritual terms, the Pharisees come to kill and destroy. They lead people away from God. On a trip that Jackie and I did to the United Kingdom, we went to, on our long service leave. And we, while there, we visited family. But we went to a church in the county of Devon. One Sunday morning, bright and early, we went in. The church commenced and it ended and apart from any reference to Jesus, perhaps at the, end of a, at the end of a prayer, his name was never mentioned. The, the minister at the time stood up, delivered a 20-minute homily that spoke about the political situation of the present day in the UK. I have never been more angry as I left that church building. He was a shepherd who had no care for his sheep. On another occasion, I can honestly say of a, of a minister preaching uh, every week in the Church of God that for 30 years preached almost the same sermon every week. There is no care for the Church of God. That is why we need to keep praying for our ministry, our ministry team, each and every one of them. 
We need to pray for our ministers as they deliver God's word to us, for those who have pastoral care responsibilities among us. Pray for our small group leaders that each one might not be distracted from the task given to them to lead God's flock. And so it brings us to the point of the flock in its relationship with the good shepherd. But what is it that makes the shepherd good? There are three things. Verse 11, he will die for his sheep. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. Jesus will give up his life for his sheep because they cannot in any way save themselves. Jesus will give his life to save his sheep because in their condition there is no hope. Just like sheep wandering across the road, heads down, not paying attention to the dangers around them, there are sheep in this world who pay no attention to the claims of Jesus. It was a deliberate act that Jesus would give his life. He died in our place. And what makes this action of the good shepherd all the more dramatic is that in giving his life, he would destroy the bonds of death and would also take up his life again. Here Jesus is saying that it is his choice to give his life but also his choice to take it up again on the day of resurrection. That is what the good shepherd does. That is what he has done for his sheep. The second thing that the good shepherd does is that he knows his sheep. The hired hand mentioned in verse 12 will not protect the sheep when in danger. He has no care for the sheep because to him they're simply sheep. He does not own them. They mean nothing to him except they are a means of income. The wolf might come and scatter the sheep. It could catch one or two. But at the end of the day, the hired hand will get paid and move on. The Palestinian shepherd might risk danger but they expect to live to see another day. But contrast this with the good shepherd. The good shepherd says that he knows his sheep. The notion of knowing indicates the intimacy of the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep. The shepherd calls his sheep by name. His sheep hear his voice. And they follow him. It is a reflection of the relationship between the father and the son. Jesus knows who his sheep are and he acknowledges his sheep as, a, as true disciples. And his true disciple acknowledges him as Lord. Do we? How are we going? Do we hear the voice of Jesus? Or do we simply follow tradition? 
Do we gather here in church because it's the thing we do without any real meaningful relationship with the Good Shepherd? The final thing we find out about the Good Shepherd is that he unites his sheep. He says in verse 16, I have other sheep that are not of this sheep pen. I must bring them also. They too will listen to my voice and there shall be one flock and one shepherd. Thinking of old, the Old Testament imagery of sheep in the sheep pen, it's obviously a reference to Israel, the people, the nation of God. But now Jesus is saying this relationship is wider. This relationship goes beyond the nation of Israel. It goes to the Gentile world. So when Jesus speaks of sheep who are not of this sheep pen, then he's clearly referring to the gospel reaching and being accepted by others. The millions who over the ages would hear the call and follow the shepherd. Through his sacrifice, receive forgiveness of their sins, receiving a place in the kingdom of God. The God who created all people and loves all people equally extends his gift of salvation to the whole world so that all will believe and come together as one flock under Jesus, the good shepherd. This was the plan for us. This was God's plan. Jesus is referring to his sacrifice being available uh, to everybody in every generation. And that's you and me. God planned this centuries ago, millennia ago, that we would gather as his flock. I remember... Uh, when I was doing a locum at Cambridge Park in 2018 and 2019, I was asked by uh, the, um, uh, the committee that ran a group for seniors if I would address that group and give my testimony. And I thought, what am I going to say? I wasn't converted in a blinding flash on the Damascus Road, I kind of grew into Christianity. I sat down and I started to think about it and I said to the lady first, before I started preparing, how long do you want me to speak for? She said, oh, about 45 minutes. <laughs> it's a long testimony. So I set my mind at the task. In the beginning, I was born and I started. And through this whole exercise, I was able to identify significant points in my life where God had led me to the, to the point that I am now. I've already mentioned the time of, of my family leaving England. I'm sure that had we stayed there, I wouldn't have become a Christian. We went to Sunday school. That was about it. But God 
if you look back over your life, you'll see God's action, God's plan of guiding you and leading you as the good shepherd leads the flock. There may be no blinding flash, no great revelation, but God is still leading his flock. And the revelation in chapter 7, verse 9 to 10, our words that bring this flock together. After this I looked, and there before me was a great multitude that no one could count, from every nation, tribe, people, and language, standing before the throne and before the Lamb. They were wearing white robes, and were holding palm branches in their hands. And they cried out in a loud voice, Salvation belongs to our God who sits on the throne and to the Lamb. That is our destiny as the flock of God. We will stand before the throne of grace and praise our Saviour because in this world he led his flock as a shepherd leads his sheep. In the middle of all kinds of trials and difficulties of this world, our shepherd goes ahead of us, giving us all we need. And when we gather in that kingdom being prepared for us, the word of Revelation chapter 7 verses 16 and 17 will be fulfilled. Never again will they hunger. Never again will they thirst. The sun will not beat down on them, nor any scorching heat. For the lamb at the centre of the throne will be their shepherd. He will lead them to springs of living water. And God will wipe away every tear from their eyes. Let me conclude. It is clear as we come to the end of this passage in John 10 that the sacrifice of the shepherd for his sheep is related to the father's love for his son and his love for us. That the sacrifice of Jesus was a voluntary one and not a result of some rebellious disciple giving him a kiss on the cheek or a misguided high priest who simply wanted to follow tradition. Also, Jesus... <coughs> Thoughts are not just to his death, but also to his resurrection. And that all of this is done in obedience to the will of his Father. What do we need to take away from today? Well, Jesus is the good shepherd. And that he willingly gave his life for his sheep, for us. And if we consider ourselves to be the flock of Jesus then we must hear his call and we must follow. We must hear his call and serve him for he is the shepherd who will lead us to green pastures, to the kingdom of God. Let us pray. Father, we thank you that in your word you speak to us in images that we understand, that we're able to grasp. And Father, we thank you 
that through your son, the shepherd, the good shepherd, who calls his sheep, you have called us. Father, thank you for guiding us and leading us to the way of peace, to be secure in that sheep pen of your kingdom, that we might praise you and glorify your name for all eternity. Thank you for gathering us in one place. And we thank you in Jesus' name. Amen.